Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For those of you who have listened to this show before, you know that I like to go to my library of the old coaching books that I collect and share some parts of those at times because they're very relevant to what's going on in the game right now or relevant to a time of the year or time of the season. And so today I want to share one from, I think it's probably the second coaching book that I bought and put in my library. The first one was the Delaware Wing Tee in Order of Football by Tubby Raymond. This one is the run and shoot offense, or as the title of the book is the run and shoot football offense of the future. And it's written by Glenn Tiger Ellison who coached here in Ohio, actually went on to be an assistant coach for Woody Hayes, but faced with a season in which they were not doing well, something they weren't used to. They were 0-4-1. They had one tie, and things were just miserable in Middletown, Ohio. And so I want to share the beginning of this because it sets the stage and, and then the last part of what Coach has to say in this book. But something to point out, I think this is one of the few books that shows how an offense started and evolved into what it, what it became. And the run and shoot is different than what we know it today. A, a lot of people will look at it, it looks like a double slot formation in its original form. And before that, it was called the Lonesome Polecat. That's where all these concepts evolved from. Uh, the thing you could equate it to today is a formation like the swinging gate that people use on extra points where all the linemen are to the side, the center is eligible and over the ball, obviously. And uh, you can do some things within that. They ran that as an entire offense for the last part of the season. And from there, the run and shoot offense developed. And, and certainly it's evolved over time into what you see it as today and still used in college football and even in some of the spring leagues by June Jones. But let's start with what he says here at the beginning, and I'll point out some things as we go, but a great story around this and something we can learn from and apply to our seasons right now, however it's going for you. So it starts chapter one, why we changed from possession to wide open football. Our town was howling and growling. This was a town that Jerry Lucas put on the map as the basketball capital of America. This was one of the first towns to be named All-American City. Its great steel mill had never known a strike in its long history. Its paper mill products flowed to every corner of the earth. It was a fine, hard-nosed industrial town. 
but the entire community was angry. Never in its entire athletic history, which began back in 1911, had the high school football team had a losing season. However, that fine record seemed to be broken, for this year's team had no victories. It had four defeats, and there was one scoreless tie. With five games left on the schedule, the season was exactly half gone. One more defeat would give the town its first losing season in football since time began. I was the football coach. The old coach is over the hill. The years have passed him by. It's time for him to go. The town was unhappy. The coach was perturbed. The football players hung their heads in shame. Nathaniel Hawthorne once said, You must begin to hurt if you would become great. We were hurting, all of us, fans, coaches, and players. Five weeks later, it was the happiest town in the country with the happiest football coach in the world and the proudest players that ever fondled the football. The team had won its last five games and written another season into the record books. The lonesome polecat had saved the season. A change in our football thinking. We had spent 25 years traveling the whole gamut of football offense from Pop Warner's single wing to his double wing to the Michigan short punt to the Sid Gilman tee to the Don Faro tee to Bobby Dodd's belly tee and had arrived lately at Woody Hayes' pulverizing tee. Through it all, our motto was hit him so hard and so often with so much that they simply cannot stand up in front of us. This was serious football. We lifted weights all summer, ran our hearts out all spring, and dug ditches all summer to prepare for the fall grind. Then the lonesome polecat came and completely changed our football thinking. A crime and a sin and a shame. Average football material in our town meant eight victories and a couple of defeats in one of the nation's toughest interscholastic leagues, where the champion hardly ever went through undefeated. This was a sleepy town toward all things mediocre, but these people woke up and started shouting when the team won more than eight games. They also woke up and started growling when the record showed more than a couple of defeats. This year, half the season was gone, and we posted no victories, four defeats, and a scoreless tie. Our material was average, perhaps a bit better than average, since we had seven regulars returning from a 7-3 and three season the year before. There seemed no reason for us to be without victory. No team had ever worked more diligently than we had that year. We hit harder, we ran tougher, we swept more, we practiced longer than any team I have ever coached. Still, we were winless at midseason. This was a crime, a sin, a shame, and we knew it, felt it, hated it. An offense that popped. For years, it had been custom every Monday after one-hour session in front of the locker room blackboard to throw the chalk against the ceiling and roar, that's our problem for this week, let's go get to work. The players had always bounced to their feet and sprung from the locker room and hurled themselves into the drills, but not this year, not after losing four and tying one and winning none. They pulled themselves slowly to their feet. They dragged themselves sluggishly from the locker room. They went wearily to work. We wanted our boys to love football, but these kids were beginning to hate it. When the chips are down and the jig is up and there's hell to pay, can you pay it? We used to bounce back from a defeat with that kind of talk, but after five games and no victories, we seemed to have lost our bounce. There was hell to pay all right, and we were behind in our payments. If a man will picture his problem vividly in his mind, Brandon on his brain, driving in his heart, suddenly during a relaxed moment when the situation seems hopeless, the right answer will pop. Put a demand on nature, 
and see will supply the need. From out of nowhere, one bright fall morning popped the lonesome polecat, bringing us the right answer. A soul-satisfying season. We forgot about work. We began to play. We quit being serious, and we commenced having fun. We stopped our blood and thunder pep talks. We started telling funny stories. We laid aside our meat grinder. We took on the lonesome polecat. We halted our losing streak. We set into operation a winning streak that went all the way. So ended the most soul-satisfying season I have known in 30 years of high school coaching. Our fans acted as if we had brought them the state championship. Our players once again proudly walked the streets with their heads up, and the coach began sending forth messages all over the country to questions asked by high school and college football coaches about the lonesome polecat offense. Fun football. The lonesome polecat revealed to us that football can be fun and that fun football can win ballgames. For years, we had kept the squad an hour every Monday before the stadium blackboard, cussing and discussing ways and means of annihilating the opponent for the week. But with the coming of the lonesome polecat, we became so eager to get out on the field and play aerial with new offense that we began to take only a few minutes for our scouting report. We decided that scouting reports had been overrated anyway. We began to feel that the classroom football taught in the locker room is for the birds. We should do our teaching on the field, for the players had just come from a day-long session in the schoolhouse. While a coach must express his own personality in coaching his boys, he cannot do a great job copying some other coach's emotional stance. Still, we decided to temper our Army Sergeant demeanor and act more like a fond father. We found this to be more fun and certainly more effective because the lonesome polecat made every game a winner. We concluded that fun football leads to optimistic football, which proceeds into positive football that gives birth to winning football. I think the takeaway in the beginning of this book really is to make sure, whether you're winning or losing, that it's still fun for the guys. Winning seasons can become a grind. I've seen miserable winning teams uh, who couldn't wait to get to the end of it. They were great teams. They won football games, but it became a grind because so much pressure was just placed on the winning that they lost the ability to have fun doing it. So I think an important takeaway is no matter where you are right now, having a lot of success or maybe not anywhere near you where you wanted to be, you have to find a way to have fun with this. Uh, it reminded me of a time I had a team. It was in the mid-2000s, and this team was very optimistic going into the season. They had a, a very good year. Uh, the season before returned quite a bit there, but you know, in the midst of the early season, we lost some key players to injury. We lost some close games. I think one was a double overtime game to an opponent that was as good as us, but we expected to win that game. And so we, we get to the midseason, and we're 2-3. and three. Our goals of winning a conference championship had disappeared. Playoffs were highly questionable if we'd be able to make them. So much had to happen for us to get in. And we needed to take the pressure off of our players. Uh, it was fun when all that optimism was there, but when some of those goals that they set disappeared, they started to not have fun. It was a grind. You could tell even going into to that last loss, which was a very close one, that uh, they they were not the same team that 
they were at the beginning of the season. And, you know, for me as a, a young head coach, I think too much of the emphasis was on some of those goals that we had, and that led to the situation we were in. So what we did as a coaching staff, and certainly commend everybody who was a part of this because they were all on board, is uh, when our players came in that Monday, we treated it as a new season. It was a five-game season. There was a new schedule. We were 0-0. And our toughest game, you know, was probably at the end. And we finished. We went 4-0, and had a real close one at the end of, of the season and lost 4-1 and to a team that, um, you know, we had, had definitely had some issues beating in the past. But uh, it was a close game. Uh, lost at the end. But in that, though, we ended up having a lot of fun that last half of the season. So I think it... It's important to note what Tiger Ellison talks about here, that you have to find ways to have fun. Now, that doesn't mean if if you're not winning, go out and reinvent your offense. That's what they did. It worked for them. I mean, maybe you can. But really finding the things that your guys do well and you can have fun building upon. And it's not scrap this season and we'll start working for next year and give the younger guys time. You owe it to the seniors to bring them through and bring them to the finish line. They've given you four hard years of work and they deserve to make sure that the focus stays on this season so uh, I know those teams out there too that get to this point and the focus becomes well we're going to build for next year and you certainly can do that but but that's something that remains in your office the 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 message really has to be that you're going to have a fun finish to it and so it takes us to the last part of the book the, the last chapter here that he talks about this And the chapter is titled, Today's Coach is an Educator. Coach, we're hiring you first and foremost as a teacher. Among your duties, we expect you to coach kids, to build boys, to mold men. We want these youngsters brought up the American way, which is a competitive and winning way. Winning is positive. Losing is negative. Let's be positive. A viewpoint well taken. The first statement And the above quotation is universal and is heard by every young coach as he sits in an interview with those who hire. I heard it. You heard it. Others will hear it. The remainder of the quote may be implied. Sometimes it is implied gently, yet it is there. It permeates the atmosphere of the interview room. Sometimes it is implied forcefully, so much so it ceases to be subtle. The whole quotation wraps things up nicely in a viewpoint that is well taken. The spokesman speaks for a whole community whose pliable youth will be standing around you, looking up to you, ready to become you during the years just ahead. The young people do not know what they want, but the grown-ups do. They want a winner. If they did not want a winner, they would not be worth working for. You would not like the job. It would not be thrilling, exciting, challenging. If they want a winner and you do not give it to them reasonably soon, you will not like those people, nor will they like you. You might not even like yourself. It certainly requires no great genius to know what a winner is. Throw 10 evenly matched teams together in a league in which they all play each other once in a nine-game schedule, and when the season is over, hang the winner's tag on any team that has won five ballgames. Crown the champion with a wreath of roses and stuff the runner-up with holiday turkey, but do not forget to shake the hands with all the other winners, too. Console the losers and give them a year or two to become winners. If you, Mr. School Board President, and you, too, Mr. Chairman of the Athletic Council, do not recognize as a winner any team that wins one more game than it loses, you boys better hurry yourselves off to the nearest preacher or priest or rabbi 
and get your souls whitewashed for you may be headed for hellfire and brimstone. The real criterion of a great coach. The football coach, like the businessman, has only one problem, put out a winner. 90% of America's coaches throw in the towel before completing 25 years in the profession. The same percentage of businessmen close their doors on a particular product long before that. The strong get stronger and the weak get weaker. Those who dominate the struggle all possess varying degrees of greatness. You say to the successful man of business, push aside your million dollars and show me what real service you are rendering rendering the people. You say to the successful coach, put away your record books and show me what the kids you coached, the boys you built, the men you molded are doing today. What attitudes did you weld onto their natures that are helping them achieve their destinies as complete human beings? These men who have proved themselves newspaper great, stammer and stutter and clutch their money in their record books, they're either not so great or else they are great without knowing it. Modesty is a virtue before age 40, but it becomes disgusting after that. A man should get his eyes open at 40. The businessman is great if he has made much money and contributed much service. The coach is great if he has won many games and molded many men. But the money and victories alone do not prove great men. The money and victories are the working tools. What did they build with their tools? I'm going to pause there for a minute, and I think it's worth noting that Winning gives us the opportunity to continue to use this platform as coaches to build young men. And unfortunately, people are not interested in us continuing our work if we can't do that. We have to find a way to win football games. We have to find a way to make this successful and certainly make it fun for everybody involved. And so Coach talks a little bit about that in this next section, victory over defeat. If you think you can mold a boy into a man without squeezing him pound by pound upon a framework of victory, just try losing all your games some season and seeing how much character you can teach that year, on the field or in the classroom or downtown or at home with your own kids. If you try to rationalize, you sound like a pratting crybaby. If you clam up and feel sorry for yourself, you look like a sick cow. You can either hold on to your hat as you toss it in the river or you can cuss a little, just a little grit your teeth and clench your fist and analyze your mistakes and go back to work. We lost all four ball games and had only one tie to show for the first half of the season and one of my players sat on the riverbank all night contemplating suicide. He snapped out of it. He came back the next day and we won the last five games thanks to the loathsome polecat. We enjoyed that five and four season more than we enjoyed the nine seasons they pro proclaimed as great. We used each of those defeats to help us appreciate each of our victories, and we had an extra victory to boot around just for the pure exhilaration that victory over defeat brings. Victory over defeat means one more victory than the number of defeats. We have done much better than that over the years, but I suspect that the greatest educational value comes that more men are actually molded into a victory over defeat season than an all-victorious season. Winning them is absolutely great, but if it represents a lot of sacrifice and a lot of all-out effort, if it represents a lot of sacrifice and a lot of all-out effort, but if it happens too often to the same people, they stop sacrificing, they slacken their efforts, and the thing is no longer educational. Superintendent confirmed. A victory is not educational unless you can compare it with a defeat you were escaping. 
You lose sight of that defeat unless it occasionally catches up with you. You get into the habit of running straight on with your head back, looking down your long skinny nose at the environment around you. An occasional defeat brings your head down and reteaches an old lesson. A living organism must struggle for its place in the sun or, is it, or it perishes. Education is a process when you compare this week's victory with last week's defeat and realize that what made the difference? Better preparation, greater determination, more sacrifice, harder work. Coach, we're hiring you first and foremost as a teacher. Among your duties, we expect you to coach kids, to build boys, to mold men. We want these youngsters brought up the American way, which is a competitive way and a winning way. Winning is positive. Losing is negative. Let's be positive. The man was right. Some great wisdom there from Coach. I think something you can reflect on. Hopefully your season is everything right now that you've wanted it to be. If it's not, I think there's a lot of optimism you can gain from the perspective Coach shares there. You have the opportunity to sit down and figure it out. It's sometimes it's just finding what you have and better utilizing it in your room. Sometimes it's those huge changes like Coach did in coming up with the Lonesome Polecat. But you owe it to the kids, you owe it to your staff, you owe it to yourself to keep finding a way and doing it better. At no point do you throw in the towel in this game and say, oh, we'll work for next year. Do everything you can to make the most out of what's left this season and enjoy it. We'll continue to give you our in-season episodes. Mondays are the OC office hour where we sit down with an offensive coordinator currently not coaching because he's working in a spring league or he's retired. Uh, Defense with DC is on Tuesdays and we talk about some of the things we can learn from the games and and really focus on uh, some of the strategies, techniques, practice, etc. We have teach tapes on Wednesdays with Steve Hauser and in teach tapes we focus on technique and putting attention to detail into our week. On most Thursdays though we work with coaches schedule we have the Mushroom Society with Bob Wiley. We'll have one coming up with Al Saunders, who is rated one of the best offensive coordinators in the history of the game. And we have some things to learn from him. And then Friday is always a wild card where either I share something like this from a book or we pull out an episode from the past. So please stick with us here the whole season. If there's things you're looking for, feel free to reach out to me. DM me at Coach K. Grabowski or email me, Keith, at Coach and Coordinator. And uh, we'll certainly work to put on some content that will help you this season. If you go to the show notes, we have some more robust show notes right now at coachingcoordinator.com for all these episodes. Be sure to check those out.